Hey everybody, really quick before we get started, season five is winding down. Uh, thanks for everyone who's listening. Thank you to the sponsors. Season six is right around the corner and I'm doing something different yet again for season six. Uh, it's going to have a video component as, long, as well as the audio component. Uh, and each episode is actually a lesson in itself. So half of the show is a, is a uh, dialogue, an interview. The other half of the show, my guest, uh, will present slides from uh, a particular lesson that they're really knowledgeable in how to grow an agency, how to rank a website. We talk to agency owners and SEOers. It's going to be pretty darn awesome. And you're going to learn a whole bunch. Uh, best way to stay connected to that is mattreport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list. You'll know when it's released. Follow me on Twitter at Matt Medeiros. Or if you just want to see all of my ranting and stuff like that on Twitter, you can just follow at Matt Report. Uh, it's the sort of cleaner, more filtered version of the stuff that I put out. You can follow us there. That should be sometime in August. Really appreciate it. Looking for sponsors. If you get somebody out there who's willing to sponsor a independent podcast like myself, reach out mattreport.com slash contact. Let's get into today's special episode. Jason, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Creator of Weblogs, Weblogs Inc. sold to AOL, early investors in Uber, Thumbtack, created a company to, called Mahalo and fought Google at every uh, turn and corner. Mm -hmm created another company that I originally found you through is This Week In, the sort of all of the YouTube stuff and live video stuff you were doing. Now you're running Inside.com, yep. uh, news and entertainment delivered via email. I am a huge fan of that as well. You run Launch, Incubator Events, and now you've written the book, The Book of Angels, as it were. Yes. <laughs> it's Angel, angels, to, I like that. Angel, uh, <laughs> How to Invest in Technology Startups, Timeless Advice from an Angel Investor Who Turned 100 Grand into 100 million buckaroos. Jason, welcome to the program again. Uh, did I miss anything? Uh, it's um, I probably incredibly, did. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's one of the great things about um, history is like people only remember the victories if you have right. them and then they forget all the losses. But you uh, brought up Mahalo, so that was great. My PTSD <laughs> started triggering. But it, but it just, uh, Mahalo, we basically, um, you know, um, pivoted into inside.com. So the story is... Uh, ended up well. But, uh, you know, we're working like dogs to get a return for those Mahalo investors, which yeah. annoys. <laughs> I never give up. It's one of my stupid, it's my, it's one of my either charming or stupid qualities, depending on the situation. <laughs> but I never give up. <laughs> one of those, uh, and, and obviously, uh, want to talk about the book. Uh, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not a super heavy book reader. And mm. I got it. I got an early copy. I did a little. I did a little Jason Calacanis of my own. I just, uh, you know, I contacted your your publishers. I sort of worked my yeah. way in through the back door, and I said, "Hey, I'd love to talk Hustle. to this guy." <laughs> um, I definitely want to talk about the book, but real quick, the the This Weekend Network. I mean, yeah, God, uh, you had This Weekend Web Design, of course, This Weekend Startups. You had, I think, This yep. Weekend Movies as well. Yeah. Do, do you think that you were just so early, like the technology? Yeah, wasn't for sure. There? We, what we did was we tried to do a network of shows I don't know, seven years ago. It's a little experiment. I just, me and a couple of my friends put a hundred K in each. We got to the point where it was making some money and there were two breakout shows, Kevin Pollock's chat show. Right. And this weekend startups and all the other shows we were trying to groom talent. And, you know, we had people like Mark Seuster doing this week in venture capital. Yep. We had other people doing this week in movies. We did a mad men recap show long before. Um, things like Talking Dad, we kind of pioneered that space of doing a show right after. Yep. And so we had a lot of, I would say, um, early signs of success, and maybe we should have stuck with it. But 
I came to this great realization, which was the more important, the more powerful, the more networked, the more credible the host, like Kevin Pollack, Mark Suster, myself, the, the greater the chance of success. Hmm. If it was an emerging um, host, it probably had very little chance of success, right? So we were able to get an unlimited supply of emerging talent to host a podcast, but none of them were breaking out. And it probably would have taken us three or four years of trying to get them to break out. And then none of the people, um, we had somebody named Dave Pensado doing Pensado's place, and he was awesome too. But all those people had in common that they didn't really need us because it's so easy to create a podcast that if you're a rich, powerful person, or not even rich, if you just have 500 to, let's say, $2,000 to produce an episode, you can just do it yourself and not have a boss, not be part of a network. And so... Uh, we kept having people, you know, who would just call in rich, like Mark Seuss was like, yeah, I can't do it for the next year. I got to raise a fund. I got things to do. Um, and I just had this realization that like all the great podcasters would be independent. And I was right. If you look, Leo Laporte stayed independent, Joe Rogan, Sam Harris, uh, Adam Carolla, all these people have become independent. Uh, let's call it $1 million to $10 million enterprises. I think probably Leo and Joe Rogan are, you know, above $5 million. Then you have this like, you know, call it two to five million dollar space like this week in startups and maybe Sam Harris and maybe Adam Carolla. In other words, it's enough money for those people to love doing it and not need to have anybody else their boss. So all those people who are trying to make podcasting networks have had a hard go of it. Even Leo, you know, he's got a lot of great shows, but he's had a hard time keeping talent on the network because, you know, they go have a life event. They get married. They go have kids. They want to do something else. Right. So. It's just hard to be a manager of talent like that. I mean, mm-hmm. Sirius XM is doing a good job of it, but they have like a huge bankroll. Mm-hmm. So I, I think podcasting is this very unique space because you don't need somebody. If you go down that list, all these like podcasting companies, they don't really, you know, Malcolm Gladwell doesn't need the podcasting company, in other words. He can just right. do it himself. So if right. he does it with the podcasting company, it's probably because they're overpaying him. And, and, uh, and, the, and these shows, these either networks or these or individual shows of somebody's running, they, they become massive platforms and catalysts to sell other either goods and services or maybe yeah. even in your world, uh, you know, you get the advertising, you do a million bucks a year, uh, you pay your staff, whatever, but it's also yeah. it connects you with so many people at the same time and it makes you become I, the I always my, my view on podcasting when I heard about it from Dave Weiner and uh, – uh, the pod father, Adam Curry, when they were sort of teaching me about it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to record two conversations or lunches I have a week. And then all of a sudden it turned into, we're about to hit 800 episodes for this week in startup. So it just turned out to be a networking thing for me. And then all of a sudden it started making money and getting 150,000 downloads an episode. So it's a, it's a pretty big audience now. And it's a great way for me to find founders to invest in. And if people are listening to that <laughs> and they're, and they're like, all right, that's it. I'm going to go start. I'm going to go start my podcast. Uh, folks, it's still a slog. It's still some hard work. It's, it doesn't come. It doesn't come that easy. I know. I mean, I'm only at maybe 300 episodes, and man, some days it can be super draining uh, to keep this stuff going. Uh, let's just talk about uh, the book, the structure of this book for a dullard like myself <laughs> who doesn't like to read. Yeah. It is. Uh-huh. I mean, you say in in sort of in the winding down chapters that this is this is the playbook. This is your you know decade plus of experiences sort of uh, all put into this one book. I love the framework. Was I mean, is that your idea? Or when you get to a publisher, they say, "Look, it's a complicated topic. We need to sort of piecemeal this for people reading it. It's not it's not all this hoopla and sort of uh, zen like stuff. This is this is the real yeah. deal." The pitch was interesting. You know, I've had a 
a very famous book agent for a decade. His name is John Brockman. He does something called edge.org. And he's got Daniel Dennett, Jared Diamond, you know, Sam Harris had Marvin Minsky, just all the greatest authors, uh, you know, out there and, and Brian Greene and then me. <laughs> and I get all these, like, I would always get these like blogging for dummies, podcasting oh, for dummies, yeah. you know, search engines for SEO for dummies. They just, they just wanted me to be a, you know, the dummy author. And it was always like cheesy. Um, and so, there was a couple of stories about my angel investing. People started to realize, oh, he's hit a unicorn. Oh, he hit a second unicorn. Oh, he hit three unicorns. And when that started to get released, you know, the value of the portfolio um, started to get released. The Wall Street Journal did a story on it. People were pinging the publisher, saying, pinging my, my agent saying, hey, is he going to write a book? And I just thought to myself, everybody I meet, like the stupider or in, more inexperienced they are, the greater the chance they've written a book. Right. So like people who have no life experience and nothing to share, they write books in order to become subject matter experts. And I just thought, isn't that backwards? Like, shouldn't the books go to the subject matter experts? And I said, I just thought, what am I a subject matter expert on? Like, I was a good entrepreneur. I don't, I'm not like an elite great entrepreneur, like folks I've invested in who've done much better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a good entrepreneur, but, um, angel investing is something I have, you know, a lot of credibility on since I've done 150 investments now. And now six of them have become unicorns. Uh, another company today announced that they raised over a billion dollars, um, making metal 3d printers called desktop metal, which I was an investor in the first round of funding. Nice. So I was like, this is something I could do. And then I looked at it and I said, how do you frame it? I could make something for angels, but I, it really, the book is about how wealth is created in the 21st century, as opposed to how wealth was created in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I'm going for. And if you've read the book, you realize it's not just for angel investors. It's for anybody who wants to know how money is going to be made in the next century. And money is, you know, and wealth is not created by, you know, real estate and being rich dad, smart, you know, poor dad, you know, smart, secret millionaire on the block, art of the deal. You're not going to become rich through some deal making or real estate in all likelihood. That dream is over. Um, that was a really good model um, when the white collar boom was happening. You could get a white collar job, marry somebody with a white collar job, bring peanut butter and jelly to lunch, and then just, you know, don't go out to dinner, take right. staycation. Save, save, save. Save, 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 pay down your house. But at that time, when our parents bought their houses, my parents bought their brownstone in Brooklyn for, I think, $45,000. And my mom was making, as a nurse, 40000 And my dad was probably making 30000 as a bartender. So their house was like one t- less than one times their yearly income. Now, if you live in New York, a brownstone is a million dollars. And most people are making, let's say they were blue, forget about blue collar, just white collar people. Like they're probably making 100 to 150K each. So let's just call it. Best case scenario, three hundred thousand a year. Hmm. A, a brownstone in, in Brooklyn's a million dollars or two million dollars, depending on where in Brooklyn. So it's you know five times, seven times the household income. And if, forget about Manhattan or other places. So you know in San Francisco is an even further joke. So the idea that you would have these two white collar people suffer and then hit this amazing real estate thing, then buy a second home and leverage it into a second home is kind of laughable. Yeah. Um, and also people are graduating with what at the same time, people's debt is growing. So oh, the educational debt, people are coming out of school with 50, hundred K each. So they have household debt of 150,000. Then what happens? Boom. Um, you, uh, you have that $150,000 in debt. You're not paying for your mortgage until you're 35. Right. In this book, I explain, Hey, if you can get on cap tables of high growth companies, specifically in Silicon Valley, because the hit rate there is so much better and the numbers are just, you know, a zero at a zero or two for many other market, 
in terms of the scale of his companies, you could really hit a home run and move from poor to rich, from middle class to rich, from rich to ultra rich. And that's really what I was trying to do there. And I, my hope is that, you know, if 100,000 people buy the book and, you know, five or 10% of them start angel investing, maybe a thousand of them have this incredible or a hundred of them have this incredible result. And if the other ones just, you know, are plus or minus 50% of their money, that's a fine outcome too. Yeah, uh, but it really is something that uh, it's it is angel investing is something that's becoming uh, something that a lot more people can do. Yeah, and I want to I want to talk about that, but I also looked at this book for, of course, for the folks who are listening, the the the, the WordPress product companies, uh, hosting companies, people who are doing you know upwards of maybe a million bucks a year selling WordPress plugins. This is a great book to reverse engineer these frameworks, right? How does Jason go to, to look for founders? Now these founders out there, I mean, pick up the book just because now you can reverse engineer that and it's structured so damn well that you know you just go right you zero in right on the on the part where Jason's negotiating or setting up the uh, the interviews. I mean. It's, 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 it's exactly correct. That is, um, that is a very astute point. There's actually a chapter in there for founders where I just say like, if you're a founder and you bought this book to game the system, congratulations, you smart, <laughs> right. smart mother effers. Like right, right, right. I salute you. And then here's what you need to know about what angels are going through and how they make their decisions. Um, because they're human beings too, who are trying to figure this out and you're not trying to game them. What you want is to have, you know, to really be in sync. Um, and for the people making a million dollars a year, like, they could either become angel investors or they could actually read the book and understand, hey, this is what venture uh, venture capitalists and angel investors are looking to do. Right. How do you accelerate a million dollar, that that wedge strategy of doing templates and you know being a single person who makes a million dollars a year, one person with a couple of freelancers makes a million, and how do you add a zero to that revenue or two zeros? And I think if you read the book, you'll, you'll have an idea of how things like that can scale. So uh, a little bit on that that point. So a lot of folks who do uh, do this, who are who are doing the WordPress thing, and they're and they're and they're selling some digital products. A lot of them are developers, right? They they started you know coding in the basement. They upgraded to coding in the garage, and now they get they're in a co-working space, coding at the co-working space. They're not sort of uh, the marketing type or the entrepreneurial type in the sense of I want to scale this thing, uh, but. You know, what can be said about, you know, at least talking to maybe an angel investor? I mean, are there some benefits to taking? A lot of these folks are just sort of gun shy by, for taking money. Is Are there some benefits to it that, that you could sort of peg off for people who might be yeah. afraid? So if you have a cash producing business, let's say it's profitable and throwing off, you know, a $250,000 a year salary for you, that's pretty amazing. You know, uh, consider yourself lucky. You can work from home. You, you control your schedule. If you start bringing investors in, um, they are going to be looking, an angel investor is going to be looking typically for a 5 to 10x return. And not not this angel investor. I'm looking for you know people who can do 100 or 500, but really 50 to 100 is probably what professional angels are hoping that some of their companies do. So uh, you know, our regular angel might be looking for 5 or 10 times their money in seven years. Venture capitalists are trying to invest millions of dollars and maybe do 10x as well with an outside chance of 100 or 200x. So you know that about them. And you um, are kind of lighting a fuse or hitting a starter pistol when you do take that money. So it's a very astute observation. You, your life is going to change. You're going to have to send updates to them. They're going to have questions. Uh, they're going to give you money, but they're also hopefully, if they're connected, going to give you credibility and resources and help you strategize about how to add that zero to your revenue so that everybody involved, all stakeholders, your customers, your partners, your employees, yourself as the founder and the investors win. And you want to, that's, that's what the cap table is all about, the capitalization table. So you'll have to create a cap table, sell them some shares, 
give your employees some shares and say, hey, we're all going to go on this journey. You know, the company has a million in revenue. We value at five million. There's five million shares in the company. They're all worth a dollar. The investor just put in a half million dollars. They bought 10% of the company. They gave us 500,000. Let's deploy that $500,000 intelligently. We'll buy, we'll, we'll hire, you know, uh, five salespeople and give them $50,000 plus commission and hire two more developers. Now we got seven people cranking. And what the people who are your grinders in your audience, the people who know how to grind out and make a real business that people find value from, they typically have um, the great product sense and the great customer sense, but they don't have the scale sense, right? They, or they don't have it yet. Right. And so what they have to do is study what they've learned, study their customers and say, hey, maybe the top 5% of our customers or top 10% have a need that we've learned about that we can double or triple down. So if they looked at it and said, you know what? We have these three customers out of you know 1,000 who are financial companies, and they keep asking for this set of features. Let's tell them that we're building that product, and let's get them to uh, pay uh, $25,000 a month for that product. And that's what you know, kind of pulling the string as an entrepreneur and learning about a market. That's what I respect about those grinders, the people who get to a million dollars in revenue. I just did my first cannabis investment. Uh, and I, w- I wasn't expecting to do one until maybe California was legal and maybe two years from now when things were a little more sorted. But I found a company that's making a million dollars from advertising and making, doing uh, cannabis tourism and doing cannabis magazines and cannabis festivals. And I was like, okay, that's a good starting point. If they know how to make a million dollars from just traditional advertising and events and stuff like that, maybe they'll figure out some bigger business and they have a bigger business in mind. So yeah, I love those I, scrappy entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I see that come up a lot. Like I see a lot of people, um, you know, who are scrappy doing a million bucks a year, but then they see these ideas get funded for, you know, multi millions of dollars and, and they haven't made a they haven't made a nickel yet. Right. Well, meanwhile, these people are making, you know, hand over fist, hundreds of thousand dollars in, in cash every single month. I mean, is that attractive uh, when a company's making money or does that signal like this is only as big as they're going to get? Like we should maybe not invest in that. An amazing question. So for some people, it is uh, a signal, um, a negative signal, like these people think small. But for people who are in the know, like savvy people, they're going to look at it and go, that person built what we call a dude business or a dudette business, which is dude makes a million dollars a year. Dude <laughs> right. makes half a million right. dollars a year. Right. You know, like those people are so smart. I have a friend, Phil Kaplan, who um, created a company called DistroKid, and previously he did F Company and a couple of other startups, and he's really brilliant. And he makes these companies like just himself and a bunch of freelancers, and they get to millions of dollars in revenue. And um, if you can be lean like that, you're going to learn stuff, and then there's a time to figure out, okay. I built MailChimp or SurveyMonkey were co- examples of companies built off revenue that all of a sudden started to scale. And in SurveyMonkey, SurveyMonkey's case, they took investment. And then in, I, I believe in MailChimp's case, they're at $400 million in revenue and they never, they've never taken anybody's money. So both things can work. And if you want to work with a group of elite investors, when you come with that million dollars and explain your vision, say, listen, we made a million dollars. It was quite nice. We can make we could grow this business 20% a year for the next 10 years and we'll make $10 million. That's awesome. We want to build a billion dollar company. Here's the billion dollar opportunity. And here's why we need $1.5 million for 15% of the company. And we're going to build it from here to hit these goals. Um, that seems pretty credible to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it hasn't grown for five years and it's just slowly growing and you say, we're going to make this business accelerate, you have to have a good story, right? So is it, why hasn't it grown faster? And it might be that you just never had 
outbound sales. And you add an outbound sales team and everything changes. So they would want you to test that theory and probably give you 500K to test it. Got but it. most people don't take enough risk. So of that group of people who are making that million dollars a year, half million dollars a year, what they real what they don't realize is they're so concerned to protest the next net the nest egg. Right. And you know, their upper middle class lifestyle or let's say, you know, affluent lifestyle, maybe not rich, they can stop working, but you know, they they kind of have a nice place in life. They don't want to risk it, which I understand. But what you have to also realize is if you don't risk it now, there's no chance of outside success. And if you have if you if you go for an outside success and it fails and you've built a million dollar business before, you're gonna be able to build another million dollar one. Yeah. So it's it's kinda of like, you know, I there's this kid who climbs Yosemite and other mountains without a rope. And, you know, nobody can Alex Honnold or whatever his name is. It's just like you watch these videos and you're like, my God, please don't do that. And I don't recommend people climb mountains without ropes, but if you're climbing a, the startup mountain and you fall, it gives you more credibility and you just get to start over at the bottom of the mountain again. Yeah. You don't die. So people have this like idea that if you fail in your startup, you're dead. No, you're more credible. You've learned something and you get to play. You put another quarter in the machine. You get to play the video game again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's obviously well said. I want to circle. Take more risk. <laughs> yeah. My- and, 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 and on that note, you mentioned something earlier about uh, sort of they, they understand the scrappiness of creating the product, understanding the customer and the love of building a business, right? They, that's why they did it. But they don't understand the scale factor is is that where you would argue a good angel would come in and say, uh, no pun intended, I guess, but come in and say, hey, look, we're going to bless you with a, you know, maybe point you in the right direction for a, uh, you know, advisor or building an advisory council or something like that. Is it, does a good angel do that for their entrepreneurs or do you try to stay hands off and not really, you know, push them in a particular direction? Um, it depends on what the founder wants. So the founder... If the founder wants me involved, I get involved. If the founder doesn't need my help, I get less involved. Um, I like to get a monthly update from the founder because it creates discipline with them to write the update. It takes them an hour to write the update, share the key metrics of the business, talk about the challenges, talk about the wins, talk about the losses, and you know how we might be able to help. If you have that discipline where you have your metrics dialed in and you write that update and you send it to 10 investors and say your management team, you can have like a really open dialogue. And the companies that do that go a lot further because they maybe create a plan. And if you have a plan you uh, to be successful and you execute the plan, you will be more successful. Now, you might not succeed, but you will definitely be more successful. Right. So people who decide, I'm going to create a two-year plan to grow my business from one million to in, you know, uh, in year one to three million. And in year two, I'm going to go from three million to nine. If they don't succeed at the plan and they hit two and six, they will probably be further along than people without a plan. So I'm a big fan of planning and, you know, um, having people involved and talking about the strategy uh, and paying attention to the data and the metrics. The great companies do that. So and I uh, think you mentioned on a recent episode of your show that the folks who are who are just shy or shyish of saying, nah, I'm not going to give you that that weekly or monthly update uh, is sort of an indication to you that they're, they're not taking their job seriously or they might not be taking your relationship with handing them some cash seriously in that in that regard. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and we, we definitely like to find people who are just serious about the business and, and want to do the business right. So I think if you're going to take angels, you know, you can look at, if, especially if you're in that zone of 500,000 to a million, a simple email to 10 different, you know, angels saying, um, I have a business called blank. We make money by doing blank for blank. Here's a revenue chart quarterly, monthly, weekly, whatever. 
And here's a link to our product demo. Like literally that's what five, less than five sentences. Right. You all of a sudden get this massive, uh, we click on the links and we go check it out and then we're going to take the meeting. Most people write their life story and what they plan on doing, the talkers, the tourists. Hmm. What I love about your audience is they're not talkers and tourists. They're people who've actually built real businesses and they just maybe haven't built a business that is designed to be a billion dollar business. But if you can build a million dollar business, you know, truth be told, you could build a $10 million business. Now, if you have built a million dollar business, I don't know if that means you can build a hundred million dollar one. Right. But if you build a million, you can definitely get to 10. And if you get to 10, you've got a business that's going to be worth five to 20 times that number. Um, and you can build a team around you of investors who can tell you what people you need on your team to hit that next milestone. That's, that's the trick. You know, you're bringing these people in, they're vested. And now you have five people working towards your success who have skills that you don't have. Right. right? And again, why take the downside risk of why, why fear the downside risk when there is none? Mm. You know, it's not life or death and people have a life or death approach where they just don't take enough risk. I believe in my heart, people don't take enough risk. You know, it, it's, it's funny you say that because I'm a mentor in, a, in an accelerator program uh, out here on the East Coast. And, you know, a lot of these folks coming in, and it's a, sort of like a, a sustainable accelerator. So, you know, businesses that are going to, you know, uh, help the local community drive jobs, uh, that kind of thing. Nothing like in the tech sector, although some come through the tech sector. So many people starting companies now, they feel like it's life or death, right? And, and some of them are, are trying to do it because they're jaded from, you know, uh, the Shark Tank shows that are out there, right? They think like, all I have to do is get to this and I'm going to win a million bucks, right? They, they think of it like a game show, I guess. And, and it's sort of, sort of not the case. But also, look, you can get up the next day. You can start another business, get another job or something like that and take another swing at it, I guess. Um, it's correct. And, uh, there, Shark Tank's an amazing show for inspiring people to get involved. What it hasn't, it has put in people's mind that that money in some cases is like the, the reward. That's the prize. When right. in fact, that's the starter pistol, as we right. talked about earlier, right. that just means, okay, now you've deployed it and those people want you to return. It's an investment, which means they want a return on capital. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, uh, it's been great that so many people are inspired to start companies, but finishing is important. As an investor, this is the inside. This is an inside baseball question for the for the direct folks uh, in the audience. Uh, we're all using WordPress. It's all open source. Does that scare you as an investor? Do you not touch open source? Do you know uh, investors that do and don't? Uh, that might be as for some guidance for folks listening. Uh, it is uh, amazing. Everybody wants to do open source based startups. So they saw what happened with WordPress.org. Right. And I've got, I've got the name of the other CMS, but the Boston company that now. Oh, um, Acquia, Drupal. Yeah, Drupal. Yeah. yeah. So these companies are real and they make a ton of money. And I think Android has put to bed anybody's fear that like you can't do an open source thing and also control it. Right. Hmm. So, you know, Android's done a, Google's done a pretty good job of having their cake and eating it too, haven't they? Yeah. You know, they have like Android and they figured it out. And, you and know, te a, Tesla's doing open source, I think, even with their chargers uh, coming up, right? They want to open source their charging station so other manufacturers can, can sort sell of them. Yeah. Build them. Yeah. I think they, they, what everybody realizes is like, you know, at a certain point, um, you pick where you want to make your money and make your company defensible. And so, you know, for Google, you know, everything is open source except for their algorithm and their search engine. You right. can't figure out that's a black box, right? But they'll open source everything else to kill their competitors. And right. then 
you know, Facebook is like, yeah, we're not going to make our, we'll make our hardware platform open source and we'll have everybody working on grinding the hardware cross down. But you're sh- we're sure we're not going to make our ad network or a social graph. That's not going to be available. It would be lightly available in the API. If you get any kind of traction in the API that gets people to leave Facebook, we're going right. to turn you off, right? Like the API for Facebook says the API is not designed for people to make people leave Facebook. Right. So if you use the API thinking you're going to bring people to your platform, the second you get traction, they just say, you're breaking the terms of surface. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, so is, so let's, let's pivot and talk about your, your current, uh, uh business inside.com is, yeah. is playing in somebody else's sandbox. I mean, as you learned with Mahalo, as sort of yeah. some of us listening and uh, listening now, we've learned that from wordpress.com versus wordpress.org, two different businesses, two different entities. Uh, is your play in email sort of saying, you know what, to heck with these platforms, I'm just going to go direct. Uh, and it it's has- exactly, you, you couldn't be more right. Okay. Uh, after years of being frustrated by, you know, Google was a big partner of ours. I was in there first quarterly report for Weblogs Inc. was the partner that they shared that was making money off of advertising. We were making over $2,000 a day. We were like the first million dollar independent company partner. So they used us as a case study, Weblogs Inc. and Gadget, and they used New York Times. And I had this great 10-year relationship. I knew the founders of the company. I knew everybody there. And then they just decided to like go ham on us and all the other content sites and destroy us. And then when I called them, you know, like I couldn't get my phone calls returned. And I was like, but we're partners. And then Matt Cutts like, we don't have partners and you don't have a penalty against you. I'm like, 90% of our traffic's gone. And here's a thousand emails with your team talking about how great our partnership is. He's like, and so they basically lied and you can see them getting dinged. They just got a $2.7 billion fine yep. in the EU just on comparison shopping. So they're going to get dinged for local, they're going to dinged for all these other things as well. They really use their monopolistic position to hurt the companies in their ecosystem, which I understand, I, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. They were loved originally by partners. What they should have done is just given us a licensing fee for our content and said, hey, if we put your content on the one box or whatever, we're just gonna give you 10 cents a CPM and all of a sudden Yelp would have been getting you know, a million dollar a month check and everybody would have been happy and Google would have been making 100 million off of ads. But they, right. there, was a, there was a way for them to do it, but, and I, I think they probably regret it now and they're probably trying to fix it. Or they're laughing all the way to the bank. It doesn't matter. I, I feel like they're. I feel like they're doing it again with with YouTube content, uh, and sort of just changing suck, the rules. Yeah, sucking yeah. the life out of uh, out of ad revenue. Yeah. No. All of a sudden, they said if you have under ten thousand views, no ads. Right. And if you talk about if CNN talks about a terrorist attack, they can have advertising. If right. an independent person who helped build YouTube into what it is, like Philip DeFranco, mentions a terrorist attack, they won't put ads on it. Right. So Philip like went crazy on them. He's like, wait a second, I helped build this platform and now you're changing it. So Philip's leaving the platform. I saw that coming. I left the platform. Yeah. And so email is one of these great things. So you can go direct and you can make money directly from consumers. So not even having to rely on advertising. So now we're going and saying to our customers, um, hey, pay for the content. We'll give you some extra content if you pay. And if you want free, you get, you know, whatever it's going to be, 20% or 60% of the content for free. And some percentage, 50-50, we're not sure yet, 60-40 will be uh, for the paid people and for people who contribute. And we did it with Launch Ticker, our first email newsletter. And of the 27,000 people, we have over 1,000 paying, so about 4%. If I can replicate that with the 200,000 subscribers on Inside.com's 26 newsletters, uh, we'll have a great business. Uh, We'll have 8,000 paid subscribers. We'll be making a million dollars a year. That pays for a lot of journalists, right? And you have 20 journalists working from home for that. So I'm really interested in owning a deep, direct relationship and now if you think about it gmail is even trying to oh yeah that's gonna be my next question that up 
with their tabs, right? And putting you in their uh, thing, but it's so hard for them to do. And um, we are even going to be going, we started experimenting with SMS and, you know, owning people's relationship there. So I think use any of these other platforms if it gets your customers, but own a direct, deep relationship. I can't tell you how many people I know who have apps and have no emails. Right. And it's like, get the email address of these people. And email is the big growth hack for Twitter uh, and for a lot of other sites where they email you, here's what, ha- here's what you missed. Right. That was the big hack for a lot of these companies. So if you're not collecting emails everywhere and providing massive value to those email subscribers, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And this, I mean, this, again, folks who are listening know, I mean, Word, WordPress itself being an open source platform, you can do whatever you want. I mean, we have tons of folks in the audience who are building membership sites. People are coming to the site. They're, you know, they're paying either nine bucks a month, 200 bucks a year. Transaction happens right on a WordPress site. They can control the content, put up a paywall, all that fun stuff. What's the product evolution of uh, inside.com, do you do you then sort of spin back to where you were five, six years ago and start creating video content along with this stuff, audio Maybe content anything, Yeah, anything's possible. I think the goal is once you have 10,000, 20,000 emails, um, you start to have this virtuous cycle where the news is coming to you and you can, you can bolt anything onto something with 20,000, 30,000 emails and it's gonna have some amount of success. So it's a very astute observation. You know, it's, it's very possible you know, inside AI could have a weekly podcast and the email would drive the podcast and we'd be, and the, you know, the email content would drive the topics of the podcast. So it's possible we can layer on podcasting onto email. What I found was every business I looked at kept saying, you know, if we have, if email is the growth thing, why don't we make email the core thing, right? Right, right? So if everybody's looking at saying, hey, email is the thing to get growth, what if the entire product is centered around email? and engagement and opening it. So that's really what I'm focused on. And I set a goal in the beginning, like let's get a certain number of opens. We hit that. Then I said, let's get to 50 newsletters. We're halfway there. Now I'm saying, let's get to one or 2% of the people who are free paying. And that just started three or four weeks ago, but it's promising. I've already got thousands of dollars in monthly reoccurring revenue. And uh, it's a very lightweight business. Like many people who are part of your audience, I'm like literally aspiring to hitting that million dollars in revenue (laughs) and having 20 full-time 50K a year journalists working from home. And a a 50K salary for a journalist working from home or, you know, 40K plus benefits or something in that range. And you can get people with three, four, five years experience. We have this thing in New York and San Francisco where we think journalists need to make 70, 80, 90, $100,000. It turns out, you know, if you're living in New Hampshire or Arizona or other places to get a work from home job, with benefits for 40 or 50K is tremendous, yeah, tremendous absolutely. opportunity because you can't get that salary. If you do get that salary, you probably have to drag your ass into an office. <laughs> right, right, right. I do miss your, uh, I do miss your Inside Drones uh, uh, YouTube series that you were doing at, at, at one point. It was, it was, yeah, I do miss that. Been, that, was, that was good. Well, we'll get back to it. What we found was we weren't getting, it, it was cart before horse. When we yeah. started doing some of those tests, we weren't getting the, engagement that we wanted and then we're trying to figure out how do we grow it so i was like oh let's work backwards you know how, uh, how do you and one as we sort of wrap up here because i know you're a little crunched on time the how do you live in that happy chaos right and and let me just stage that um you know i was talking to a founder today and in my mentor session i was like okay you got 
you're selling your product, you're out there, you're pushing it, but then there's like this little cloud above you. And that little 20% of ideas and testings and like little things you want to try sort of just floats up there and you sort of pull things out every time and every now and again, like you're inside drones, maybe car before horse. How do you manage that? Because I mean, I feel like you do a lot of that. You're always testing things. You're always trying new ideas. Yeah. You don't shy away from it, but is there a, no. is there a way for you to manage that? Yeah, for sure. So here's how I look at it. Um, I look at startups themselves when I angel invest them, and I look at my own little tests as satellites, little missions, right? So instead of like doing this, you know, if you want to find life in the universe, I think the way to do it is to to send out a hundred probes to a hundred different planets that could have life on them, and just see if you get a return signal, right? Right. So that's what you, that's the way to look at these experiments. And if you get to a planet that you think is in the Goldilocks zone and should be inhabitable. And you get there and it's, there's nobody there, great, you can cross that one off the list. And as you start crossing them off the list, you're gonna start getting data. So, oh, doing a podcast about drones didn't work, but doing a newsletter did. Okay, what's making the newsletter grow? Oh, doing interviews with people who are CEOs of you know, drone companies means they retweet it and people get value from it and blah, 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 blah. You know, And you start figuring out what works, which you know experiments are getting you closer to finding life, right? And which ones are not? And sometimes you got to cross things off the list to know they don't work. Mm. Um, and that's what you're. That's really what entrepreneurship is about. Is you're, you're just trying to triangulate around a signal. And sometimes it's a weak signal, but you know the signal starts getting stronger and stronger. And revenue and engagement are the signals. So open rates are the signal, right? And we when we started Inside, we have a newsletter called Inside Daily Brief, which is just about the news of the day. And we realized, hey, people were 40, 50 percent of people were opening it in the mornings. And then people were telling us the next day that a lot of the news was stale. So I said, okay, let's run a test. Take the entire, take a thousand people on the list and send like a thousand of the 10,000 people or 20,000 people, whatever it is, a second edition at three o'clock in the afternoon with whatever else has happened, like an update. And just tell them it's an update on what was happening in the morning news. Like four people were like, I didn't ask for this. We're like, we'll unsubscribe you. And three of them were like, don't unsubscribe me. I love it. But they were kind of upset that they weren't. And I was like, listen, we're just, so I just told the whole list, listen, we're moving to twice a day. If you don't like it, unsubscribe. And so it's like, I only want once a day. I was like, we don't provide that. They're like, okay. You know, yeah. and they're like, you can't do that. And like, if, and if there's always like a couple of people in every crowd who are like, you know, the people at a restaurant who are like, you can't charge for bread. And like the restaurant's like, we charge for bread, you know? <laughs> okay, fine. You know, or you can't, a hamburger should come with French fries. So you, why, how, how do you charge for French fries? It's like, well, not everybody wants French fries. So we, we charge an extra dollar for French fries. It's just the way we chose to do it. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. And sometimes people listen too much to their customers, right? So you got to understand the, the overall, you know, impact of the metrics. And that just requires having not a discussion about emotions or feelings or predictions or who's in charge, but data mm. and crafting an experiment. So the the Lean Startup's a great book by my friend Eric Reese that talks about this lean startup methodology, which everybody listening to this should be familiar with. Yeah, definitely. But what's the least costly and quickest way to get the signal to understand if this is going to work or not? That's your goal. How can you cheaply figure it out? And the way I cheaply figured it out was, you know, let's just put a newsletter out there. Inside had a news app. Hundreds of thousands of people downloaded the app. Only one less than 1% used it a day. When we send emails... 30, 40, 50% of people open each one yeah. and we send two a day. So if you put that together, we went 50X yep. using an old technology and we're, and now we don't have seven developers working on an app, eight developers working on an app, 
you know, the whole app team was maybe eight people, very highly paid people. Right. We can redeploy those eight people's salaries and hire a dozen journalists and get further. And that's no dig to the, it just turned out that news apps didn't work. I mean, I was an investor in Circa and a bunch of other news apps I loved and used and nobody made a news app that's worked. Right. It just doesn't work. People forget they have it. Yeah. Um, and I remember when you launched that and I was like, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to be using this app all the time and I installed it. But then when you pivoted to the, uh, to the straight up email, I was like, yes, this is, this is, cause this is all, I, I swear to God, this is not, a, this is not just the, because you're on my show and because, you know, I'm a super fan, but it's like, it's the only place I read news now. Like I don't go into Facebook and even dare click on an article. One, because I don't want to get retargeted. Two, I don't want to see all the bullshit comments that people have to say about stuff. I just want to see the news headlines, get the synopsis, and then click on it if I, if it, if I so desire. And, and, and I think Inside really hits the mark on that. Thank you. Oh, man. Uh, so one last follow-up on that. Uh, Ad-free uh, and just go membership uh, monetiza- monetization model moving forward? or maybe probably, a co- probably a combination. So in the free ones, we'll probably have the you know, we'll have free ones and you can rock out with the free one and there's a little bit of advertising in it. And then we'll have the space of users who pays. Yep. One of the things we're experimenting with is just, you know, um, letting people turn off the ads. So in launch sticker, we let the thousand people turn off the ads and I think 10 of them or 20 of them took the time to do it. Mm. So you can turn the ads off technically by just clicking a button in your profile settings. <laughs> and it turns out nobody does. People like to see the ads if they're targeted. Yeah. So I think you can have your cake and eat it too. I think you can have a paid, you know, vanity fair filled with ads. Um, so, you know, it's... That's a pretty cool for, idea because I guess if somebody clicked on that, you could, the the paid for newsletter just simply doesn't come with ads. And if you don't want to see ads in your email, uh, as you're scrolling the headlines, um, just pay for yep. it, right? And it's super easy. Makes sense. I, I, I think like, you know, there's this group of people like when Hulu came out with, I had a Hulu subscription for 10 bucks. It had ads. Right. It was making me crazy because Netflix doesn't have ads and I'm paying 10 bucks for that. Then they right. made a $13 version that had no ads. I upgraded to that. <laughs> I doubt, I think there's probably like 20% of people are sensitive enough that they would pay the extra $3, an extra $36 a year. And then most people would not. So the, in this day and age, I don't know you have to choose. I think it would be brilliant for Netflix to have a, um, you know, uh, version where today, you know, this Saturday, Mercedes is making Netflix free and you can watch Orange is the New Black and all the original shows are free this Saturday, brought to you by Mercedes. And you have to watch a Mercedes ad at the beginning and take a survey at the end. And Mercedes could just make, you know, a Saturday Mercedes Day on uh, Netflix and Netflix gets all these people to download and sample the shows. Uh, and they give them, you know, $10 million or $5 million for doing it. Like just do one, one day a month where Netflix is free. Right. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be great onboarding. Yeah, no, absolutely. Jason, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Sure. Look, I am. Thanks only... for reading the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no I problem. Appreciate it. You know, you were like, I was like, oh, well, you know, you send the book to a lot of people and they're like, yeah, you know, like, what did you like about the book? You actually had like specific moments in the book. You actually read it. Yeah, so I, I th- really appreciate that. I, I actually thought you were going to say, how did this schmuck get the book? <laughs> uh, no, it's, I, listen, I, listen, I'm only, I, I'm only a 10 minute flight away from Nantucket. So whenever you want to have a beer Ooh. the next time you're in town, <laughs> you let me know. Oh my God. So you're on the Cape somewhere? Or yeah. I'm uh, Dartmouth, Mass. So it's just, I hop wow. over to New Bedford, hop on the airline. It's about 10, 15 I love minutes that place. in air. It's beautiful. That place. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Be where, careful. Yeah. Where can folks find you uh, on the web to say thanks? Oh, well, Twitter, 
Uh, my Twitter handle is Jason, J-A-S-O-N, same on my Instagram. And if you want to check out inside.com, take a look. Um, and um, Angel the Book is in stores now. And if you tweet me your receipt, I will give you a unicorn number and a name. <laughs> that is hilarious, by the way. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah, like 300 <laughs> people have done it. So we give them a unicorn name and a unicorn number. So you count up. We're going to do a thousand unicorn names for the people who tweet, the first thousand people to tweet their receipts. And we're 300 in. So that's good. Go grab the book, folks. Uh, even if you're not considering an angel investment, it's a, an amazing book to reverse engineer, to find those uh, those angel investors out there uh, and you know get that money into your business, not try to scale, stop being sure. the uh, the developer in the basement or be the developer in the basement if you want. But uh, Yeah, and just add a zero. Just add, add a zero. zero. Just add a zero. That's what, I always tell, that's what I always tell my founders, like just add a zero. Then they add the zero. I said, okay, let's add one more. <laughs> <And we're done. laughs> uh, that's awesome stuff. It's mattreport.com, mattreport.com slash subscribe to join the mailing list. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Matt.